It's the My Michelle Live podcast. Looking for the God story and news of the day. My Michelle Live news and views. Here's Michelle. Yesterday, Inauguration Day, and an inauguration like we have not experienced in years past. We're going to be looking at some of what's happening in our country. What is Joe Biden inheriting and what are we getting with this president? How can we move forward with the division and the canceling that we experience not just from friends, family on social media, but now from the media? What are we going to look like in the future and have we lost some of our power in the United States? The Inauguration of the United States. Day. The president of the United States. Has a long history, steeped in tradition. And I will faithfully execute the office of the president but of the United year, States. this year is going to be a little bit different. Securities concerns, the pandemic, even some of the infighting. Joe Biden's first day was a little bit different. You're not going to see the balls. You're not going to see the outgoing president who usually attends the swearing-in ceremony. President Trump hopped on the plane and got out of Dodge. Inaugural balls, reception dinners are usually so grand, there will be none of that. Not in 2021. The swearing in is usually packed with people. Presidents, families, uh, even uh, friends, outgoing presidents, extended family, their supporters. It's the way it's been. But while there may be hundreds of thousands people of people watching from the malls in years past now we're going to see something different now we've seen something different and moving forward what will it be like it's a socially distanced audience from television screens what a weird world we're in and what a weird inauguration parades and excitement. Well, all of the enthusiasm has been relegated to social media. I yearn media. for greater tolerance, an easygoingness about each other's attitudes and, and way of life. We must adjust to changing times and still hold to unchanging principles. This is a solemn and most momentous occasion. And yet in the history of our nation, it is a commonplace occurrence. Biden's speech, this is a bit of it. Americans, this is America's day. This is democracy's day. A day of history and hope, of renewal and resolve. Through a crucible for the ages, America has been tested anew and America has risen to the challenge. But will America rise to the challenge? Will we be able to rise above? That's what we're taking on today. My Michelle Live, news and views. Today, we celebrate the triumph, not of a candidate, but of a cause, the cause of democracy.
Before we get to some of our great guests today, rumor has it that across the nation in differing cities, yeah, people are protesting. What are they protesting? Well, Sam Maupin took to the streets of Seattle to see it wasn't the Trump supporters that were starting to arise. It was something else entirely. Take a listen to what he saw today. Hello, this is Sam Maupin reporting for my Michelle Live podcast. I'm walking through Seattle today to get a look at the aftermath of the inauguration. There were a lot of fears from businesses that there would be some kind of backlash after this recent inauguration, and it's been a very, very strange narrative here in the city. I started my trip on First Avenue and talked to a couple people. According to them, Nothing happened. I was in two different businesses and they said the night was calm. The street on First Avenue appeared unchanged. I circled around and even went to Seattle Center to see if I could find any evidence of destruction there. However, when I doubled back and talked to somebody at Westlake, apparently there was a group on 2nd Avenue that marched. They went after the Amazon Go store. I also saw reports of that on Seattle PD Twitter. Talking to a source at Westlake, there was a large group all wearing dark clothing and body armor, complete with marching band that hit 2nd Avenue, graffitied the federal building. That's where things were the loudest and hit a Starbucks on Pike Place. Now, I looked for the Starbucks. I couldn't see any evidence of damage there if I was even looking at the right one. The federal building, everything seemed to be cleaned up relatively quick. I will say there definitely seemed to be graffiti over the some of the murals and places of downtown Seattle. When I got up to the Amazon Go store, it was a little strange. There wasn't so much graffiti as places where graffiti had been cleaned up very quickly. I spoke to some people at the Downtown Seattle Association in Occidental Park where things got especially bad. They tell me that there was a great deal of destruction, windows being smashed out, car windows being smashed out. However, there were, it sounds like there were two waves of cleanup crews that had everything taken care of well before even daylight. Speaking to another person, The protest was broken up very, very quickly by police. If anything, it sounds like Seattle is learning from the last big protest we had. And not only are police responding faster, which is good, but also cleanup crews are responding faster. Except it is a little strange to be walking through and either hear that nothing happened or that it was cleaned up quickly enough that the marks weren't even visible, so I'm not quite sure what to make of this situation, but at least it was contained. So that's how everything is looking down here for my Michelle Live podcast. I'm Sam Moppin. Thank you so much, Sam. I appreciate it. The inauguration of Joe Biden as number 46 of the United States underway, the Media Research Center is watching the media's coverage of the commencement closely because where we're going to go in the future has a lot to do with what you're being fed in the present. So very important to look at what's happening from a non-biased point of view and to dig deep 
into how you might be being, well, manipulated. Is that true? Am I going off the rails? Well, we'll see, Scott. Whitlock is with us. He's the associate editor of Newsbusters. Uh, Newsbusters is a product of the Media Research Center. They are America's leading media watchdog, documenting, exposing, neutralizing media bias, most of it coming from left a left-leaning agenda that might be looking at the inauguration through, well, their own eyes, their own blinders, maybe their own rose-colored glasses. Let's see what Scott has to say. Scott, thanks for hanging out with us today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Well, here we are with uh, number 46. And is this looking a little bit different than the inauguration four years ago? Yeah, I think that would that would be quite the understatement. Uh, what we've seen, and, and it's just a few hours into the Biden administration, is that basically the short version is the media is thrilled. They are very, very excited. Uh, in 2017, the Washington Post uh, adopted this motto, democracy dies in darkness, meaning that they had to be tough watchdogs on the president. And now that seems to kind of have gone out the window with the press in general. Uh, we have uh, CBS comparing uh, Biden's speech to a homily. It was like, quote, a priest explaining something from the Bible. Uh, you have uh, ABC referring to Biden as Papa in chief. Uh, you had NBC's Al Roker excitedly waving over uh, Biden when he got out of the uh, his uh, the limo to do a fist bump. I mean, these people do not expect them to be watchdogs any any longer. Those days are over, and they want to be, I think, as supportive as possible of this new Democratic uh, administration. Anyone get with like a thrill going up their leg? <laughs> what well, we saw I mean, a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you look at our, our website, newsbusters.org, a lot of uh, the coverage is of that tone. Uh, the uh, New York Times editor last night said that she got chills as uh, Biden's plane landed at uh, Andrews Air Force Base. So it's kind of, it is that level of excitement. I think that's a good way, a good thing to compare it to. Hey, I have no problem with that level of excitement, but when it comes to reporting news, um, commentary should be commentary, news should be news. We don't really have that delineation. In other words, if you are, are excited about the possibility, if you've been, if you feel that this might be a new direction in a time where we've been, had great division, there's a place for your enthusiasm. But what happened to just real coverage and a cynical look, which is what we would like to have from the media so that we get a rounded uh, idea of what's happening in the world? Well, that's a good point. Certainly, today is a day for Americanism to be, you know, excited about the peaceful transfer of power. Obviously, uh, after what happened at the Capitol, we are all grateful about that. But the point is, we had four years of an unrelentingly negative uh, media uh, coverage in in tone and uh, in content, and. What's going to happen now? Are they going to be the continue to be the watchdogs or are they going to be the protectors of the new administration and spin Republicans as uh, obstructionists? Unfortunately, I think it's going to be the latter because I would have no problem. And I think we at the Media Research Center, if, if this were if you're going to be tough on one administration, be tough on the uh, the other. 
And, uh, you know, frankly, I just don't expect that. Uh, if you look at one thing you can look at is the uh, um, the fact checks, all these fact checking websites. And they, they did a lot of fact checking of uh, Donald Trump. I don't expect as much uh, for Joe Biden. No, indeed, be, because there have been some pretty big gaffes from Joe Biden that are downplayed, and even his past in a time where we are ripping down statues and trying to erase history, we've also seen a, a, a lot from Joe, uh, Joe Biden's background, uh, calling Barack Obama the first sort of mainstream African-American who's articulate <laughs> and bright and clean. How surprising. Ew. Ew. Now, if Donald Trump said that, you would you would see another kind of reporting. And uh, conversely, uh, a lot of what we've seen of Donald Trump, this buffoonery and the division, isn't quite all the story. I'm not going to give Donald Trump a pass. You know, he's not my favorite president. But there still was markedly uh, an erasing of some of the good that he said, just as surely as you're seeing a pass on some of the ridiculousness of Joe Biden. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're right to bring up those gaffes. And uh, as we know, though, it's not just the gaffes. Uh, one of the worst kinds of media bias that we talk about a lot at uh, Newsbusters and, and the Media Research Center is bias by omission. Because, you know, people can look at bias coverage and I think they can get a sense of like, well, this person's not giving me the, the, the fair story, not giving me the truth. But if you don't know something is happening or you don't know all the details, how can you make a decision about that? And I think a great example is uh, what we saw with Hunter Biden and the censoring of that story and, and the way big tech, which insidiously has aligned itself with the left, tried to crush any coverage of that, what the Twitter did to the New York Post. And I think that's really scary. And Scott, it's a dangerous time for that. And here's why. As we get more and more of our news and information from the Internet, algorithms that we experience on social media, for example, give us spoon-fed what we want to hear, basically. And I was just saying to our last guest, I love, I don't know about you, but I love a good steak. Yum. I mean, come on. Uh but if I were to just feed myself on a diet of nothing but steak, uh, it, it wouldn't be great for my health. It would not work. And we're, we may think of our news sources as meaty steak, but if we're not getting all the story, even, and I'm even going to say the fake stuff, don't be afraid of fake news because the truth sets you free. As you, as you look at things that you think are fake, they, it, it can weed out by truth, by lining things up, by digging deep. But if you don't hear it, you just go around eating the same diet. It's, that's why our media is so important today to not be part of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's a good way of putting it. And that's what is so important about social media and big tech and this new frontier. And that's why we've kind of really been out there trying to alert people to this and to encourage, uh, you know, people to stand up against this kind of censorship. Because one of the great avenues, uh, the great things about social media has been it's allowed conservatives a platform where they didn't have before. So, you know, in the old, old days when there was just 
ABC, CBS, and NBC, they would decide what is and isn't a story, and that was it. And then when we have the Internet, we have all these different uh, outlets you could go around them. So I think there's been a real effort by some on the left to say, no, 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 we don't want this, you know, conservatives kind of horning in on this new, uh, this new frontier. So it, it is a very important part of this battle against censorship and bias is to, to, to stand up to, you know, these uh, big tech outlets. Okay, Scott, let's be fair, though. You did say something in, in the beginning of our conversation that was really true. This is a day for, for celebration. This isn't really a, necessarily a political day. It's a, an inauguration. It's something that should be for all Americans. So it's, it, it really isn't necessarily a time to uh, pick apart the new president. I, I don't think there's any pro- there should be any problem with saying here are some concerns, here are some things that we should be looking at. But I think that what you're also saying is that we're, we're seeing in the news coverage going beyond just the coverage of, look at this, here is a, a, a ceremony that is particular to the United States. It really is uh, leaning towards kind of propaganda, can I say? Yeah, I think that's fair because uh, certainly, again, some of this is, you know, we should ce- celebrate what we have in America. So many countries don't have this, the peaceful transfer of power. Uh, all Americans should hope for their best uh, for the new president. And if that was kind of where it was left, then that would be fine. But some of the coverage today has been way over the top, uh, you know, regarding that. And and my concern really, as you said, is not so much today, but uh, how is this this coverage going to be two weeks from now, a month from now, because once uh, Joe Biden starts really pushing aggressive, uh, you know, I think he will, a liberal agenda, then it needs to be covered as such. And it needs to be covered fairly because, you know, then we've kind of gotten beyond the pomp and circumstance of today. There you go. And so we're going to be following it in coming weeks and we will stay in touch with you because you are one of the lone voices with the uh, bravery to really follow these things. And you actually do it really nicely. You do not come across as a crazy uh, right leaning uh, propaganda machine yourself. I think you really try to take it from a balanced approach. That is very unique in this age. And I give Newsbusters kudos for that. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, and you can uh, check us out at newsbusters.org. Thanks, Scott. Scott Whitlock, Associate Editor at Newsbusters. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks so much. It's off the wall commentary. Let's take it off the wall. Wow, I don't know who's playing with our sound bites, but that was crazy. (laughs) And we're going to take this conversation today as we are changing administrations and the world seems to be uh, more divided in our lifetime than ever before. And we're asking the question, how do you rise above? Mark Griswold joins us. He is our off-the-wall commentator today. You can find him at thepoliticalbistro.com. Hey, Mark. How's it going, my friend? Hey, happy to be alive. This is the day the Lord has made, and he wants us to be in it. So, awesome. 
Awesome. Okay, so let's take on this idea of rising above. I uh, read your blog posting, and uh, as you're listening, you can read it too. We'll have a link anywhere you're listening to this broadcast. Um, you have an idea of rising above, which um, may bring us to, well, our separate corners in this fight yeah. in America. You know, I was thinking about the term rising above, and you know, most faiths believe in some sort of afterlife, and it always seems to be that that afterlife is above, right? Heaven above, and then he ascended into heaven and all of that. And obviously there's the term, hey, rise above the fray, you know, don't get involved in that. That's a division right there. And, you know, even the Bible talks about when Jesus comes back, it's going to be father against son and mother against daughter and, and all that. So, there is division in the Bible, and sometimes that's not always a bad thing. You know, we can't all agree on everything, and just as, you know, you wouldn't want to probably live with your own brother and sister for the rest of your life, uh, you know, even if they're, even if you're great friends, uh, we all need our separate spaces from time to time. I mean, heck, even married couples, you know, my wife likes to do the Peloton workout, I prefer rock climbing. We don't both have to do the same thing all the time. So there's even divisions that can be between people who are, you know, joined at the hip, so to speak, married. Uh, divisions aren't necessarily a bad thing. And considering we are in a divisive uh, time right now, I think the best thing might be to divide up. You know, people need to go to their corners, as you said, and uh, be around people who share their values. If, if one party, if, uh, you know, one group of people is not going to allow the other group to do things that they want to do, then that they should just agree to go their separate ways. I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean we have to have civil war and the end of the United States. But for instance, I moved to Idaho uh, four months ago and best decision I ever made. I encourage other people who may not be wild about living in the Seattle area right now to come join me. Okay. And I'm sure there's other people around the country that are listening that have uh, that may be in a more blue area that you, that like you may go to a red area. I, I can see how there that, uh, that you have a point in that it is okay to have a like mindedness to be of, of one idea. Uh, but how far does that division take us? I mean, how far do you go with that? Well, you know, I'm uh, what most people would probably for, refer to as a libertarian. Uh, you know, these terms that we have for politics are so all over the map now. Who knows what they mean? But for me, that means, you know, I'll do me, you do you. So I would be perfectly content. I would have been perfectly content to stay in the Seattle area as long as other people weren't forcing me to educate my children in a certain way, forcing me to not be able to attend church. Uh, you know, I wrote in my blog article about a lot of the fascist and totalitarian regimes in the past went so far as to outlaw certain kinds of music, you know, Russia, you know, Oh, you can't listen to anything from the evil capitalist West. And, you know, Cuba was famous for banning all kinds of rock music because it was capitalist, I guess. And Hitler didn't and, like jazz. Know, what was wrong? That was his right, first yeah, problem exactly. right there. You know, well, maybe, uh, maybe not yeah, his worst problem, but jazz, his first. A little bit, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, if, if you get to the point where you're not even allowing people to listen to certain kind of music and, you know, it hasn't been legally banned, but we have this cancel culture. You know, I was thinking of J.K. Rowling, right? 
she makes a perfectly innocent statement, which I think most of us would agree to, hopefully, that, you know, women are women and men are men. You know, if, if we're going to erase the sexes, then there's no such thing as women. And how is that good for women's rights? And all sorts of people started just piling on her. And, you know, that's OK if you disagree with that, if, if you want to have all sorts of transgenderism, more power to you. Just don't make me believe it. And then also, you know, her books, the Harry Potter series, that's separate. Hey, I don't agree with a lot of things that J.K. Rowling believes, but my kids love the Harry Potter series. We watch the movies because I can separate the person who wrote it and their viewpoints from the person who, uh, you know, from the from the creation. You know, Wagner was famous for being a huge anti-Semite. But hey, I love Wagner's music. I can separate the fact that he was an anti-Semite and still appreciate his music. And we need to stop canceling each other. And if we can't stop canceling each other, then we need to go our separate ways. Um, and perhaps, but I think that um, even though you quote Jesus' own words in Matthew 12, uh, talking about, do you think that I have come to bring peace? No, I tell you, I bring division. But how he brought division was on who he is and what he did on the cross. Everything else, you know, he... he sat with the people who you would think didn't really agree with a pious point of view. The Bible also says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. If we remain in our bubbles, feeding ourselves with the news that makes us feel good and not open ourselves to other ideas, our iron isn't sharpened. We become ineffective, impotent, there are there are times where we may need to step back and it's okay to believe what you believe. But if we don't continue to sharpen each other, we become the dull and easily offended uh, little melting popsicles that we've become today. Oh, amen. And, you know, I have friends uh, on the other side politically and we have some great discussions because, you know, uh, Dennis Prager, who some of your listeners may know, makes a differentiation between liberals and leftists and liberals, you know, they may have different views about what government should do. And, you know, Hey, let's tax each other up to 70%. All right. We can talk about that. Leftists on the other hand, he says, want to close debate. They say, no, we're not discussing that. And this is my way, take it or leave it. Uh, and actually, you know, uh, you can't even leave it. Maybe still here in Idaho, you can leave it. Uh, I mean, that's part of the reason I left Washington State is because it's it's no longer liberal and conservative or libertarian and, and liberal. There's a certain group of people and label them whatever you want. I don't care that have shut down debate saying you are not allowed to hold that viewpoint. That is, you know, they, they call you racist or white supremacist or haters or some form of phobes, you know, transphobe, whatever, xenophobe. You can't even have the discussion. So I am perfectly willing to have I, – I love having good debates with people that are willing to have debates. The problem is when you get to the point where one side refuses to debate and says you are not allowed to hold that viewpoint, that's a problem. And if that's the point we've gotten to, you know what? More power to you. I'm all about freedom. So if you want to hold that viewpoint, even if you don't want me to and you forbid me from holding that viewpoint, that's great. I still – I you go hold that viewpoint till the day you die. I, I think it's wrong, but – you're, you have every right to be wrong. Just don't force me to you know, educate my children in the way you think. They're my children. I'm going to educate them how I want to. 
And we're getting to a point in America where uh, that's becoming so blatantly obvious that the majority of people are saying, wait a minute, there's a problem here. The biggest problem is that we are engaged and addicted to social media and the internet, which feeds us in algorithms, a steady diet of the same meal every day. If we were to eat the same meal every day, and it was not necessarily a, a good for us. I mean, you and I both talk about love and steak, a really good steak, right? But if that's all we yeah. were to eat every day, we wouldn't be healthy. We need a a balanced diet. We need that variety. We're not doing that with our minds, even though even if you think that you're right, even the Bible, and this is something we get to all the time on this program. The Bible itself is a example of diversity. God welcomes you as you are. You don't have to clean up before you before you come to God. God says, test me, try me, prove me. Or as I said, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. This is a, a biblical or a, a religious text that is different than any other because it says, go ahead, test it, try it out, try me out, go ahead, question it. It's okay. Uh, we are getting past that point in our nation. And I think it's because what we really need is to get back to the idea that we really can't exist without a God story, Mark. Amen. And again, yeah, you know, God encourages debate. I remember in high, uh, college, I took a, a class called, I think it was called Debating God or Challenging God. And it was all about the times in the Bible where people said, yeah, I don't, I don't know, um, don't really agree with that. And God's like, all right, well, let's have that conversation. But you remember, you know, Jesus, he was with the tax collectors and the lepers and all, sort of, all sorts of these untouchable people, right? The one people he had no time for that he, you know, started whipping and called broods oh, of vipers. Come on, come were, on, yeah. You know, the, Fer the Pharisees, The right? set because in those, their ways, were, and this is the way we're yeah. going to think, and this is the way you're going to think, and we're going to cancel you if you think differently. So don't think it just happens on a, on a left-leaning platform. Back then, it also happened in the more conservative platforms, and we see that because it's not a left-wing, right-wing issue. It's a human nature issue. I'll give you the final right. word, my friend. Yeah, I, you know, I would love to go back to where we all had freedom to what we want to believe. But as the Bible says, there's going to come a time when it's going to be mother against daughter and son against father and all that. And at some point, maybe the best thing to do to be able to live peaceably is to go our separate ways. And, you know, I just hope that here in Idaho, I am allowed to continue to believe what I'd like to believe and live my life in the way I'd like to live my life. And if people want to move here, that's great. I, I welcome anybody to come here as long as you continue to let me believe and live my life the way I want to live my life, as long as it doesn't impact you. So, Well, just pray for I'm us at. here on the front lines then, Mark. <laughs> Thanks for being with us and, today. And hey, if anybody, if anybody wants to come join me, seriously, it's an open invitation, especially if you believe in freedom. Besides writing a blog, I'm also a realtor, and I'm happy to help you find a house out here in the North Idaho area. Boom, there you go. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. 
editor-in-chief of the New York Analysis of Policy and Government, government Frank Vernuccio, is joining us as we look at number 46, where we're at in the nation, and what we are looking at for the future. We're hoping that as a people, we can rise above some of the division and ugliness that's there. But can our president, Frank, so good to connect with you again. Great being with you, Michelle, particularly on this special day. It is a very special day, another historic day. And Michelle, before we go any further, I, I was just wondering, I've been waiting with bated breath yes. to hear all the media pundits who said that there would never be a peaceful transition of power under Donald Trump. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't received their retraction yet. I was wondering whether you got the memo. You know, usually I'm the first person on their list, but yeah, I haven't gotten anything yet. <laughs> I know it was fraught with drama. Let's just be honest. But still, we don't always get the whole story. That's what we've been talking about today. How do we rise above strange place that we're at? And I know that you follow U.S. and world events. Um, you write about it, broadcast about it um, on the implications of what's happening around us, including things like we just mentioned. Uh, irresponsibility, I would say, of the of the press, Frank. I'm not sure we really recognize the extraordinary challenges that are afoot. So let's start there. Well, of course, President Biden comes into power at a time when the uh, challenges are unlike any of his predecessors. You know, we talk, first of all, that he takes office in the midst of a contested election, one which many Americans seem to have lost faith in the process. And I think for fairly good reasons, um, this was a very strange election. And that's something that's going to hurt Biden going forward. But beyond that, we're looking at a China that has become far more aggressive than ever. And, of course, that is something that Biden, who seems to have had good relations with China's, China's particularly financial relations, needs to deal with whether he can overcome his personal ties with China to pay more attention to the needs of America in defending itself against unfair trade practices and military adventurism in the Indo-Pacific is going to be one of the things on the top of Joe Biden's list. How right you are. And yet uh, those are some of the the global issues that we're dealing with here back home. We're looking at uh, groups of people on the right, on the left, that feel disenfranchised, do not feel like their voices are being heard, are angry. They're full of angst. E economic depression is probably fueling some of this. And while you have that bit of frustration, as we touched on, we also have a press and a growing number of businesses associated with social media that are trying to become a little bit more, can we say, authoritarian. Well, that's certainly the case if we look both at Facebook and Twitter. And one that we don't talk about enough, Google, in the sense that Google's search results always seem to put the hard left results at the top of their columns. And if you're looking for something more in the center, or even, heaven forbid, on the conservative side, they're all the way several pages back. That's particularly important since our young people, of course, use Google as the main research engine. And that gives them a very jaundiced view of America. It does. So welcome to the new America. Um, we're seeing signs of this authoritarianism in many different regards. Um, 
do you think it's going to continue to rise or do you or, or uh, seriously um we have this conflict in reporting um we have a, a division like nothing else we do have people who are tribing up so uh, will the light come on and will we say whoa wait a minute where have we gone or is it just going to get worse it's going to get a lot worse before it begins to get better when you have one side that's totally left out of the discussion, that's going to create a polarization. You're going to have half the country that feels they're being censored and the other half that's only get the news that they want to get. And that makes it a lot easier, Michelle, for the left to demonize the right because they're not hearing their actual perspectives. They're only hearing what Facebook and Google and Twitter want them to hear. So the polarization is going to get a lot worse. We have to recognize that what's going on in America resembles a great deal of what happens in China in terms of the social credit concept that is popular in China, where to just take a trip to get a better apartment, to get a better job, it doesn't depend on your skills. It depends on whether you've been obedient to the Communist Party or not. We're seeing that concept brought to America wow, today. Right. <gasps> Dumbfounded here, Frank. <laughs> you're right. We are seeing that. And part of the reason that we see Hollywood and the social media giants do what they're doing, an odd way, depends a lot on the relationship with China. And that includes Hollywood as well. Both Hollywood and the social media giants look to the, the billion or so people in China with hungry eyes. Hollywood wants to sell popcorn to them. Social media looks at those markets that are untapped for the most part. But to get into China, they certainly need the permission of the Chinese Communist Party, which rules China. And so they are posturing themselves to act more like China right here in the United States. The concept is spreading. Recently, Facebook signed a deal with the Vietnamese government. Uh, I don't know whether it's actually signed the deal or just an understanding, but they will agree to censor uh, dissidents within Vietnam. We've seen Google and Facebook agree to censors within China. The skills that they have learned in dealing with those governments, particularly China, is a skill they're bringing right here to the United States. Wow. Welcome to the new U.S. of A. And that brings us to some selective outrage. We see people who are outraged about human rights and outraged about justice, but that outrage stops when they put on their Nikes and take to the court. <laughs> That's exactly right. And, you know, Remember that incident where there was one NBA player who talked about human rights in China, and he was quickly slapped down by the league. Um, since when did human rights advocated by an American celebrity become a problem? Right. Uh, and we're seeing it on social media in simple and ridiculous ways. One big TikTok movement is uh, black people, women in particular, uh, downing pure white makeup with big red lips and short blonde haircuts, uh, kind of the uh, opposite of blackface and taking to TikTok. When people post this or say, hey, wait a minute, why isn't why is this OK? But, you know, you certainly wouldn't want to see blackface anymore. Uh, TikTok says it does not jeopardize their standards. We see that on on very simple and ridiculous sites and in expressions, but we're seeing it in big ways too. Um, Joe Biden, for example, 
once called state-mandated school integration the most racist concept you can come up with, called Barack Obama the first sort of mainstream African-American who's articulate and bright and clean. What? <laughs> I mean, these, that, that's that's just a few of the things that he, he was involved in. Staunch opponent to forced busing in the 70s, um, a leading crusader for mass incarceration throughout the 80s and 90s, and described African-American felons as predators too sociopathic to rehabilitate these are things that if they were said from someone on the right they would be shut down still to this day even though it may be in the past and people there there's there's no room for others to grow so that maybe that's what i see when you say it's going to get worse before it gets better yeah those are great points michelle let's not forget too the way the press portrays the two political parties I guess their historical memory is a bit short. They forget that Democrats were the party that started the Civil War when Lincoln, a Republican, tried to free the slaves. Let's not forget that the concept of gun control began because freed blacks tried to protect themselves from groups like the Ku Klux Klan. Let's not forget that Margaret Sanger, a very staunch hero of the left, uh, pushed the abortion movement not because she was in favor of women controlling their own bodies, but because Ms. Sanger believed that too many black babies were being born. So the racism of the Democratic Party is there, it's prevalent, but somehow or other, the narrative switched. Right. And that's why we're getting propaganda. See, I have no problem bringing that to light. I have no problem bringing some of the failings of the Republican Party and the right-leaning ideology to light at all. I have no problem saying, yeah, there's some ugliness in the past, uh, but let's bring it across the board. When we have selective outrage, we have propaganda and we become much like you were pointing out uh like China and other countries that limit what you get to know, limit what you get to hear, and manipulate you. That does not represent freedom to me. No, it doesn't. Let's talk a bit about the inauguration. You know, one of the things I was disappointed with, Biden claimed that he was going to be a great uniter. And I would have thought that were I in Biden's position, or Michelle, were you in Biden's position, the first thing you would have said is, let's stop this nonsense about impeaching a man who's already left office. All that is a divisive move. It accomplishes nothing. But Biden decided not to do that. I listened to the speech intently, and I heard absolutely nothing that would unify the country. Yeah, I agree. And we saw that with his Democrat predecessor, Barack Obama. I mean, how many of us were just on our feet when he was addressing the Democrat National Convention as a senator, saying that there's no red states, there's no blue states, there's just the United States. But uh, and I'm not just talking about Democrats. Republicans have to a degree as as well. The people who are sitting in office care more about keeping their office than they care about reuniting a divided country. And I think one of the reasons why there was such a Trump derangement syndrome was, of course, President Trump not being part of the political club uh, didn't mind exposing a lot of the facts that everyday Americans worry about. Why is it that a person gets elected to Congress, for example? And in two years, that middle class person seems to become a multimillionaire. Um, you know, I, I think those are the dirty deals that the president was exposing. So it's no wonder that official Washington really didn't like him very much. Well, there you go. And so here we are with number 46, number 46 president of the United States, Joe Biden. Uh, you had a, 
brought up a question that I think is a really good one. Can Biden rise above his authoritarian party? Your thoughts? You know, Biden is facing a civil war within the Democratic Party. The old guard versus the new, the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Omar Ilians. Um, Biden, of course, is not by age part of that, part of that new guard. Right. He is, however, apparently susceptible to it. One would have thought that he would have talked about the new folks being too extreme. He hasn't addressed that at all. Certainly, there were a lot of platitudes about how terrible violence was the other day at the Capitol, and it's all true. The violence was terrible. Mm -hmm. But the violence of the past summer, in which the cities of America were burned and looted, in which reporters were simply beaten just for being there, in which innocents were assaulted, in which police precincts were taken over, in which an entire section of his major city was proclaimed to be an independent zone. It was literally taken over. President Biden, now that he is president, had the opportunity from the election day till now to decry those acts of extremism. He's failed to do so. Yeah, and I'm confused because I don't know if he's a a typical politician that you really don't know what he believes. He says what's needed to get in power and to stay in power, to kowtow whoever it is that he needs to in order to maintain that power. Or... Uh, as he likes to represent, does he represent America growing, learning from mistakes, uh, trying to do what's best? Um, you know, what kind of president is he really going to be? Who is he really? I think we're going to find out fairly soon. I'm not particularly optimistic. Today, he signed a bunch of executive orders. And look, this has been an unfortunate trend, both Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives using executive orders rather than legislation. But among the things he has done is knocking out, for example, the Keystone Pipeline, which is a major mistake. It's a vote of energy independence for America, a vote for lower energy prices for all Americans. If, in fact, he's going to travel down that road, then he is following the extremist route of, again, the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's and not the kind of -of middle-of-the-road policies that Americans, whether they're Republican or Democrat, actually favor. That is uh, one where even environmentalists uh, say, look, we're getting our oil from somewhere. The world is a world. It's not them versus us anymore where the world and, and environment is concerned. If we have a pipeline here, we can keep our eyes on it. We can, uh, we will have people with boots on the ground making sure that there are environmental standards that are going to be adhered to to keep this world flowing well and to keep our gorgeous areas clean and green. I get that. And I think a lot of environmentalists do too, but it seems that we don't always think in those regards when we're thinking about extremism because we're not getting the whole story. We're not communicating. We're not allowing uh, another viewpoint to, to be like iron sharpens iron. And it's a bigger policy than just domestic in the United States. Understand this, and and I think this is important. When the United States is energy independent, we can give our allies in Europe the energy they need. We can make a huge profit of doing it, but we can still provide them with the energy. If they're not getting it from the United States, they have to get it from Russia. And of course, that weakens NATO, that weakens our alliance with the European countries, So there's a major foreign policy implication 
in taking America off the Trump standard of being energy independent. And I keep going back to your article, which we will have a link to, Can Biden Rise Above His Authoritarian Party? And one of the reasons I care so much about that is that I live in Seattle, and my beautiful city has turned into a a stopped-up toilet. You cannot drive through. I can't drive through downtown Seattle without getting tears in my eyes, Frank. I I was almost a year ago in Indonesia on Java Island, taking a six-hour train ride through some of the most beautiful scenery I'd ever encountered along the tracks in various places were little shanty towns of shacks and extreme poverty without a safety net like we have here in the United States. But I am telling you, those shanty towns looked better than the sides of the freeway of Seattle, Washington. And that is because of the policies and the mindsets of the extreme left. So can Biden rise above? I'm hoping so. We all hope so. Look, he is our president now. We're not going to be like those folks who said that uh, they didn't like Trump and therefore he wasn't their president. Joe Biden is the president of all Americans. We wish him well. We hope he has success. But again, uh, we're looking at some very bad advice he's getting from his party, very bad influences. Chuck Schumer, the new majority leader of the United States Senate, uh, introduced legislation several years ago in which he said that the First Amendment is not absolute and should not apply to paid political speech. Michelle, in my book, any attack on the First Amendment is yeah. horrible. Schumer managed to get 40 votes on it. Uh, fortunately, he didn't get a majority, so he lost. But that's the mentality that we're seeing coming out of that side of the political aisle. We just hope that President Biden uh, understands how terrible that is and can rise above it. Well, I am certainly hoping so. I Look, I'm not opposed to having that mindset out there. I'm not opposed to giving that mindset voice. What I am opposed to is shutting down, cancel culturing, everything else. That is the way of our world today. And it is very dangerous. We talked a bit about some of the sins of the left, but we see it on the extreme right as well, where we're just uh, where you'll you'll see folks that are just feeding themselves on one diet, one steady diet of uh, only certain news sources and certain ideologies and not challenging themselves. We are tribing up on all sides. And that's what I see is really dangerous and maybe something else we all have to rise above. I'd like to get your thoughts. And Michelle, one of the reasons that's getting worse and worse is that when certain sites like Facebook or Google or Twitter decide to knock out people of a different persuasion, Well, those folks of a different persuasion will build their own websites, which means we'll never talk to each other. The left will talk to each other on the left websites. The right will talk to each other on right websites and never the twain shall meet. And that's unfortunate because I think if you talk, you find common ground among both sides. You find common concerns or at least you recognize each side's humanity and each side's patriotism. But when you have censorship and now the censorship is coming strictly from the left, You don't have that opportunity to talk to each other, and that's a tragedy.
Oh my goodness, that is that is the drop the mic moment of this program. I just want to take that quote and put it all over social media, get people <laughs> thinking again. That's what this is really all about. What we really do try to do on this program is look for a deeper story. It's not just about the political story. It's about going deeper. It's about what we were created to be and what the what the world could really look like if we walk in that. I am so grateful to talk to, with you again. And I admitted that I admitted this before the recording started, that uh, I had left a message for Frank and we hadn't haven't probably haven't talked in a couple of months. And I heard his his voice on his answering machine. I got a little giddy thinking, yeah, I get to talk with my friend Frank Vernaccio uh, again. So it has been well, a I lot of fun. I hope we do it again fun. soon. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, we will put links to your article and uh, to more great information always getting us thinking. Uh, Frank, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Michelle. It was a pleasure. Something that I wanted to do to take us to the God story today is not only talk with someone who is looking through the lens of biblical prophecy. This is her passion. What does the Bible say? And surprisingly, if you're new to thinking about biblical things, the Bible has extraordinary prophecy and a unmarked history of accuracy. But what does the Bible say about where we're at today? And how can we look at it through a a lens of prophecy and not just through the eyes of um, the news or how we feel today? I spoke with Erica earlier today about some of the problems that we're seeing in the media, some of the uh, council culture. But as we've heard and talked a bit about how it's coming strongly from the left, there is a cancel culture on the right. And for those of you looking for the God story, it is not in politics. Oh, yeah, God can use politics. He can use a host of things, but that's not the primary purpose of his workings to get someone elected or to support your political cause. We're seeing that almost like a a sickness. It invades our minds and causes us to become unglued and focused on our policy, our politics, our president, our way of thinking. Erica Gray from ericagray.com. She's an author, commentator, and uh, expert in biblical prophecy. This is what Erica had to say today. And this is what's absolutely frightening. Christians, evangelicals, got this mindset that they had to tune into news that was conservative from their viewpoint. And there was a change in the news when... And so a lot of people tuned into Breitbart. In 2012, Bannon, Steve Bannon took over Breitbart and introduced conspiracy theories. And unbeknownst, and went radical right, went very far to the right. And so Christians were thinking they're getting their regular conservative news, not realizing they were getting indoctrinated. So while they were getting indoctrinated, and you can tell when you talk to them, it's globalist, 
liberals, Democrats, they didn't realize they were getting caught up in this division, this hatred of the left, this hatred of anybody that was a Democrat. So let me tell you what happened and what got ignored. And the reality is that during Donald Trump's presidency, because he had pulled out of the global institutions, because he was isolationist, Following Bannon and these people that hated this, you know, new world order, we just had a geopolitical tectonic shift and the U.S. hit an iceberg and the U.S. is now going down and nobody even knows because the media is not reporting on it. I was sitting in on webinars in Brussels and I was sitting in with leading European politicians, because I'm a journalist, so I get into those things. And I couldn't believe the things that I was hearing. So what essentially happened was because he was isolationist, because he was anti-EU, because he had pulled out of these things, they decided to just, we need to be stronger now. We need to not rely on the U.S. So during Donald Trump's presidency, he signs two trade deals, China signs 14, the European Union signed eight. They moved ahead basically economically. We were struck with COVID. COVID wasn't fully dealt with. COVID hurt our economy. So what, where it stands right now is the European Union is now taking the lead in global institutions. They want to revamp the world Um, economic forum, revamp and have a global pandemic, uh, an outfit that deals globally with pandemics. Meanwhile, they came out with laws that really hurt America, such as they're, they're launching their recovery and going to tax our tech companies and fine us for CO2 violations to help fund their COVID recovery. This has been totally ignored in the U.S. media. In addition, they are now rewriting the rules for the Internet, not the U.S. They've just passed the Digital Services Act. But, Michelle, something that I read yesterday, and I'm going to read this to you, I almost fell on the floor, and I felt actual fear. And this is where we stand right now. And it was called a Declaration of Self-Reliance. It was published in Your Active. And basically, they're saying that even with Biden, that Biden's room, might he will be tightly constrained by the need to ameliorate the deep divisions in American society. It may not be America first in the Trumpian sense, but domestic concerns will be Biden's first priority. And the European Council on Foreign Relations basically said that the EU cannot rely on the U.S. as a military power, that the U.S. political system is now broken, and that China is in the path to become stronger than the U.S. And so the suggestion is that the EU work for its own purpose, its own military. But the part that shocked me to no end 
was a call for the euro to be the global currency. That, and again, to begin to do away with the dollar. This is coming from Europe. And this is now at the start of Biden's presidency. So when you have these anti-globalists that feel that they're doing the right thing, well, if Trump had been in office four more years, the U.S. would have had a crash landing. The U.S. has hit an iceberg with Biden because he will try to get in on these things. We'll, have, we'll go down in a parachute. But basically, the European Union has just moved ahead of the United States. Okay, my friend, we've heard from quite a few people today on this program talking about some of the problems, the hypocrisy, the cancel culture, the dangers and the problems that we may have caused for ourselves, It seems like things are spinning out of control. And even when we think we're doing the right thing, maybe it's not working quite the way we wanted it to. But you know, as things start to look like they're falling apart, if there is a God story, you might think things are actually falling together. When we look at the world, we see order, we see reason. We see logic. We see laws. That's because that's the universe that God has ordered. There's a lawgiver. There's someone who brought these things together. And if there is a God story, then God's got a plan. It is not about who sits in the White House. It's about who sits on the throne. And that's the throne of heaven. I believe in a God story. I'm not swayed by elections, the results, or even uh, a stolen election as people are outraged by. You know what? I believe that things are happening as they should. Doesn't mean that I'm not going to stand up for right. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to have discussions with people over politics and policy. But in the end, I don't care. There's something bigger happening. And in that that's where I'm going to put my faith. If you get that, then you understand the real God story, not the political Jesus, but the Jesus that reigns. Before him, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the Jesus I'm talking about. The one that loves you, the one that loves me, the one that doesn't care who you voted for. That's a peace that dwells inside of me, no matter what happens in the future, that's the God story. And if you heard the God story today and it encourages you, I encourage you to like it, share it, and get the word out. We're doing something important and you're a part of it. Thanks for listening. More news and views at mymichellelive.com.